you as I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen I'm never quitting on my mission, I'ma roll with what I'm giving Got some ambition, this new addition, filling positions Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing Better watch the way you're going, better go in the right direction In the moment you stressing, but you gon' be counting blessings And I know that for certain, keep on working, open curtains Haters swerving, cause they ain't ready for your final version Whoa. I'm never gon' give up, give up you're listening to the Tom Pickler Show on WNHHLP, Level 3.5 FM. You're home. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks, Harry, for that beautiful intro. Thanks uh, for Tom Ficklin for allowing us to have this platform to discuss uh, reentry work in the community. And uh, one of my guests today, one of my all-time favorite people, we have Dr. Annie Harper. Um, who has a PhD from Yale University in cultural anthropology. And Dr. Harper is always working on some new and exciting project to uplift the community and those that have been marginalized or in poverty and specifically the reentry community. Um, today we have Dr. Harper on to talk about almost anything she wants to talk about. I just love hearing her talk, just to be honest with you, but we're gonna be discussing uh, the recovery finance project and um, so, Dr. Harper, if you would like to begin to kind of just talk a little bit about what that entails. And you had a very good uh, forum and symposium yesterday. If you want to get into a little bit of that. Thank you again for joining me. Appreciate you. Um, OK, so I did hear what you said, and it's really an honor to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on. Um, I'll just give a little bit of background to the Recovery Finance Project. This is a, um, a research study that has, has built on many years of research by myself and colleagues exploring the financial problems faced by people with mental illness and other types of marginalization, including being incarcerated. And what we're trying to do with the Recovery Finance Project is, see, is explore ways to help people who are coming out of prison who have mental health challenges with their financial problems, because we know that those financial problems just trip people up in so many ways, whether it's debt, whether it's bad credit, whether it's just not having enough money, whether it's reconnecting with benefits. So we're really going to make a concerted effort over the next two or three years um, with the partnership of the New Haven Financial Empowerment Center to see if there's ways that we can help people um, just just reduce the kinds of financial problems that get in their way. Dr. Harper, you also have discussed the importance of connecting with individuals, not just when they have come out of prison and reentry, and I'm a very big proponent of this as well. But you are a big proponent of reaching those individuals before they get out of prison and starting that process early on. And even so, even more so, reaching those folks before they actually get into the prison system and going over some things with them to better offset their financial stability once they are released. You want right. to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so thank you so much for going right there. Um, so this project really has three components. The first is giving people access to financial counseling, professional expert financial counseling, ideally from someone with lived experience when they come out. But we all know that often when you come out, it's you've already got the problems. And so we're also going to try and go more upstream to try and help people like reduce the amount of financial problems that they have in the first place. We would love to be able to go into the prisons. This is not part of the project yet, but it would be great if it could be, if we can make that happen. To help people at a time when they're not necessarily distracted by all of the things that happen when they come out, to maybe get to them before, to try and, um, I don't know, check credit, open a bank account, at least get people ready. But as you said, ideally, there are things that we can do before people go into prison. 
um, to try and stop some of the worst problems from happening. For example, freezing child support, freezing, freezing credit so um, they can't, identity theft is more difficult, making sure that um, accounts are shut down, making sure that um, anyone they owe money to that they've, they've explained to them that they're gonna be out of circulation for a while and won't be able to make payments. That would be the ideal, but we've also heard that that's a really difficult time to get someone to focus on those things because so much else is going on right then. So that's, but that's, that's kind of the ideal to get to people right at the beginning. And one of the things we're going to be doing is offering training to what who a general catch-all we're calling service providers, anyone who touches this population at any point in the process to give them at least awareness about the types of things that, things that can go wrong and some strategies that they can use to try and prevent those things from happening, freezing child support being a key one, but that there are others. Okay, so um, you and I go back quite a while, um, and I attended your Money, Your Goals training with some of the staff that I had in the, in the previous position I had for my folks that were working with the, the population. This new training, is it different from your Money, Your Goals? Are you still doing your Money, Your Goals? Or how, how, are, how is this training um, differentiated from that? And, and what are the expected outcomes? Good question. And, and so Your Money, Your Goals is a resource that we will continue to use. I don't routinely do those trainings anymore. And just for those that don't know, Your Money, Your Goals is a, a series of, of financial management curriculum that were produced by the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And they have a general one, and then they have ones for, for focusing on people who've been incarcerated, people with disabilities, et cetera. And they're targeting, again, service providers, people who, who connect with people in different capacities. They, it doesn't make you into a professional financial counselor. It just gives you some awareness of the types of problems that people have and, 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 and potential solutions. So we the, the training is not yet determined. And one of the reasons, and you referred to the meeting that we had yesterday, we're starting this project in terms of like actually providing the, the counseling probably around October this year. Um, and we hope to be training people between now and then and probably sometime after then as well. One of the reasons we had this forum yesterday to which we invited really anyone in the region, in the New Haven region who we thought might be interested is because we want to hear from people, what do you think should be included in that training? And we'll be having subsequent meetings to be able to get more information about that. But I would say if I had to do the training tomorrow, your money or goals would probably be a part of it. Um, but it would probably be more like we're going to give people a an overview of the different problems that people face. And the your money or goals materials will be a resource for them to then dig into as they need, because that, it comes with this awesome folder with, you know, lots of pages on different subjects. Um, but I don't think we'll just go through that. I think there's things, frankly, that that misses. Um, and then we want to make sure that people know about available and relevant resources here in New Haven. And obviously that needs to be New Haven specific. Gotcha. So this program is indeed specifically for folks uh, in New Haven. Um, is there, and, and I believe you mentioned this the other day, because these issues don't just occur in New Haven. We have Hartford, Bridgeport, Waterbury. Um, they all have reentry populations. Um, they all have folks that have you know mental health issues along with being um, in the reentry population due to trauma that they may have experienced and never dealt with prior to going into prison, trauma that they received while in prison, and then also again issues and the pressure and being overwhelmed at times um, outside of the prison after they've been released. So is there an ideal that once this project is done, 
might that be shared with other municipalities or find a way to scale it up or expand capacity? So actually, I'm going to I'm not going to answer that question immediately because you okay. brought up something that I should have mentioned in the answer to the last question, which is what is what do we need to include in training other than the so your money or goals kind of goes through the technicalities of what you can do to fix credit, et cetera, et cetera. What it doesn't include is exactly what you just mentioned, the kind of trauma, whether it's financial trauma or trauma that impacts finances that most people who are moving through our carceral system are experiencing, whether or not they have mental health challenges. So we really want to include that element, like both what's the what's the kind of trauma issues that we need to be thinking about when you're helping someone address their financial problems, but also what are the kind of structural historical issues, right? Helping people understand if they don't know already that the kinds of financial problems, especially black and brown people are facing when they are moving through the carceral system or after prison, they're not just because somebody made a bad decision in their life, right? They're because of centuries old and continuing um, systemic oppression that's happened that has kept people down financially. So I think that's a really important component that people need to be aware of. This is not just a matter of people making bad individual decisions, right? There's a bigger context that we need to be aware of, which includes discrimination by banks and credit unions. Um, and that's another piece of training we want to do. Um, but to move to your question about um, scaling up, Absolutely. We're already learning from people doing different things around the state. We're partnering with the Connecticut Association for Human Services who already do this type of work around the state. We're really kind of building on that. We're not doing something entirely separate or new. Um, and I'm, I, every time I hear about something that someone's doing that's relevant across the state, I really want to, to hear, what, hear about what they're doing so we can learn from it and make sure that we're you know, we're learning lessons as we go forward. So our focus is New Haven. And as you saw yesterday, there's a ton of people working on this who are basically in New Haven. Um, but my goal as a researcher is not to like share the lessons learned in five years when we, we've got an academic paper on it, but right. to be sharing the lessons learned as we go through. And that's true for New Haven and across the state. And we also were fortunate to have some national partners in this. Um, this, the Cities for Financial Empowerment Fund, which initiated the New Haven Financial Empowerment Center, um, the Justice Technology Association, Filing Research Institute. Um, so we're really hoping that through those connections, we can um, continue to learn from things that are happening around the country as well, but also be able to share what we're learning as we go along across the country as well as the state. No, that's, that's awesome. Um, myself and the department that I run here in the city of Bridgeport for Reentry, the Mayor's Initiative for Reentry Affairs, we also have uh, a partnership with the Connecticut Association for Human Services in regards to their CRC programming and working with individuals around financial stability and literacy as well. So great partnerships there all around. Um, I had a question for you and I just, I, I lost it. I thought I wrote it down, but I didn't. But you know, you talked about dealing with the trauma, you talked about possible expansion, you talked about not just waiting until that the, uh, the the program is done or the project is done and research and the papers are written. You're, you're doing this like in real time, actually. Um, how do you see that, how do you see that going? And, and, and you just talked about some of your partners that you have. Um, are there more partners you're looking to include? So, yes, I mean, the research, we're trying to do this according to the community-based research, participa uh, community-based participatory research model which the way I see it is it's our responsibility to keep learning from people who know better than we do about the impact of this on real people's lives and to keep informing them about what we're learning. 
So that for me is just a kind of, I don't know, it's a moral responsibility as a researcher to make that happen. It can be complicated and messy because some people will say, yeah, but you know, you don't know for sure if that's the outcome because you haven't waited until the end of the project, which I get. But I also think it's, it, it's just our responsibility as we learn, if we do something and we really see quickly that it's not working, we want to make sure that people know that. Or if we're learning something that has an impact, we want to make sure that people know that. So I think the way we do that is having the kind of meeting that we had yesterday regularly. So we can check in with people. They can hear what we've been doing, having, you know, an email list, having just having regular, maybe a, a regular newsletter. And I know that some really excellent research projects do that. So just having ways that we're connecting regularly with um, with anyone who's interested in this or has something to say, and also being responsive to what we're hearing from other people. If we're doing something and we think it's great, and then we hear from the community that actually it's not as great as we think, it's our responsibility to to respond to that and and try and make sure that we can change the project so that it's more effective. And certainly, if there's any like negative outcomes that we didn't intend, definitely there are always some type of collateral consequences sometimes and i really appreciate you with that forethought about bringing those that are closest to the solution uh or closest to the problem and knowing that they're closest to the solution um right. i definitely follow you about the the attendance yesterday in the email list because there are a bunch of people i think need to be really connected um along the folks that were there and and more so but real quick because our time is growing short um, I know that you wrote an article, uh, an editorial article recently on a bill that just got passed regarding state IDs. I wonder if you could just enlighten us a little bit on, on, on that and, and talk about the importance of IDs and documentation for this population. I so I, I you, you're a great interviewer because you keep you you're reminding me to raise the things that I should have raised um, without you reminding me. But yes, the third component of the project is informing policy and ad advocacy, right? We know that the problems we're talking about are much bigger than, you know, an individual can get help within it with financial counseling, but often the problems are much bigger than what a financial counselor can help with. Even with the training, right? We're talking about systemic problems that go beyond New Haven for sure. So a third component of the project is staying connected with people involved in advocacy so that we can support any policy changes that need to happen. And one of the, the policy changes that, happened very recently was the passing of bill i'm going to forget the number was it six hb 6875 yes, right. um which which is requiring the department of corrections to actually make sh require them to make sure that everyone has an, a state id before they leave um prison and i the reason i wrote the op-ed and wrote testimony for that is because there's not having ideas, obviously a, a barrier in multiple ways but just in the small slice of financial health if you don't have an id you can't get a bank account. A bank account isn't essential for healthy living, but it can really help. And not being able to take that step because you don't have an ID just means that there's so many other steps you can't take subsequently, like being able to get affordable credit or build your credit score or whatever you might need to do financially. So that was a very specific interest that I had in, um, or at least the expertise that I could bring to that issue and say, this is just yet another way that not having ID um, makes it incredibly difficult for people to take steps and, um, you know, towards successful reentry. Awesome. Thank you very much, Dr. Harper. I look forward to checking in with you as this project progresses. Um, if you would like, because this is going to be recorded or this is being recorded and will be broadcast. If you also, is there information you want to put in the chat or want to share with folks if they want to reach out to help and participate and, and add some input? 
on this very so I definitely I'll just put in my um uh, email and any and my phone number and anyone is welcome to text call email um yeah we we the more the more the better there's so many people who understand how important this is and will help us do a really good job in this project so the more the better please do get in touch Thank you very much for your time, Dr. Harper. I really appreciate you as a person, human being, friend, guidance, mentor, and I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you. I so appreciate this. Thank you very much. Have a blessed day. Bye-bye. All right, folks, we have Dr. Harper from Yale. Now we have Brother Marcus Cherry uh, with us, who's going to be discussing some of the work that he's doing in the community and the reentry population. Um, Brother Cherry and I go way back, and I just want to make sure I have this uh, right, Brother Cherry. You correct me if I'm wrong. I have you as the Director of Workforce Development. Is that correct? So um, that's no longer the case. Okay. I was. That's when I was on the program side of the work. I'm now working on the staffing side. So. Um, I don't even think I know what my title is. It might even be business development manager, specialist, something like that. How about grassroots, really out there in those streets helping people get them? Hey, you know what? I'll, How about that? I'll go with it, Earl, and I'll tell Christina to put it on my card. <laughs> How you doing today, man? I'm well, man. I can't complain. Shoulder's doing a little bit better, so Glad you know, to hear no complaints on my end. How about uh, yourself? Uh, I mean, I'm here, man. Ten toes down. You know, beast alternative, some people that, you know, unfortunately, I know and don't know didn't wake up this morning. I'm very blessed. I know that's right. I know so, that's right. you know, we brought you on today. Wanted to talk to you about some of the work you've been doing, some of the partnerships that we have. You know, we just had a very successful program. So I'm going to let you take it away and just enlighten us about how that's working out. And oh, thank you. Do better. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, again, the name is Marcus Cherry. Uh, the organization that I work for is called Career Resources, which is a nonprofit located out of Bridgeport, Connecticut. Uh, it's a workforce development nonprofit, right? So their overall goal is to provide training, support, and coaching for men and women looking to get back into the workplace. Um, the part of Career Resources I specifically work for, though, is our staffing side. So um, CRI, or Career Resources, started a staffing agency about three years ago called Entry Point Staffing, similar to a lot of the other staffing agencies in terms of staffing agency support, but I think the biggest difference between what we do and what a lot of other agencies do is we exclusively employ second chance citizens. So only men and women that have a background, right? Um, so over the course of us uh, being in business for the last three years, still smaller, but building a lot of relationships, one of which Earl, right? You already know, man, is with the city of Bridgeport, Myra program, right? We were, we were grateful enough to be able to solidify that relationship to where we can provide staff members to you guys. But our end result is to be able to provide uh, real-time employment opportunities for men and women upon release, post-incarceration, right? They can be on parole, probation, special parole, what have you. And we and um, our job is to be able to place them. And I just want to kind of just mention, we place people with all kinds of backgrounds, right? I've placed everyone from murderers to guys who have petty larcenies, um, DUIs, right? It doesn't matter what your background is. Our end result is to be able to provide you with an employment opportunity. But one of the coolest things that we've recently done is on May 31st, we held a second chance job fair, right? So we're doing that. Over at the Martin Morton Center, uh, uh, right over there on 999 Broad Street, Earl, your location. 
I appreciate you creating a space, managing the logistics, right? It was hectic that Love day. You. And um, and just to kind of highlight some of the things, right? One, we had over 20 employers down in the building. But here is one of the most important things that was some City of Bridgeport was one of those employers too, right? Yes, City of Bridgeport was one of those employers and still is, right? Um, so so um my number one goal was to make sure that the people that showed up actually offered folks jobs, right? So part of the engagement process wasn't just the invitation to join our job fair. It was to say, listen, what positions are you hiring for and what are the credentials for those roles? Because we wanted to make sure that we didn't want people in the space who were just saying they were second chance employers. We wanted to understand what those job titles were so we can um, advertise those job titles to to um, some of our job seekers. Man, but incredible turnout, right? We're talking over 200 people. I'm talking about that, that place was packed, man. So if packed. folks didn't have an opportunity to come out and see it, they missed something wonderful, something that was in the making. Um, but it was a great opportunity, one, for partnership, but two, to just, I love the way that the residents of Bridgeport showed up, right? When they heard about that event, whether it was partners, whether it was people in the community, a lot of people came out and showed love, man. And um, we had over 200 participants over 20 employers, we're talking about all different kinds of jobs too, not just your uh, warehouse job, your um, no shipping and receiving jobs. jobs but no shade to those. Yeah. No, no shade to those. But I but I mention it because a lot of times working with guys and girls that come home, mm-hmm. one of the first things they say, Earl, is that, man, I'm just trying to get a job, man, a little warehouse job, which is great, right? A great we want, starting we want to get careers. Correct. Correct. We wanted to create career opportunities for folks. So we had all different kind of employers come out from uh, people who were working in the nonprofit space. Right. We know nonprofits are huge fan of second chance employers. We're talking about unions and construction workers. We're talking about healthcare, Right. Apprenticeships. Right. We wanted to make sure those opportunities were real. And they showed up. They showed up. And the feedback. But the feedback we got from employers and partners were huge. I'm talking about like fours and fives down the board, man, because um, the biggest thing for us was was to not only make sure that the job seekers were comfortable, but the employers were comfortable as well, that they had a lot of traffic. They were talking to people that were viable candidates. And our goal going forward, Earl, is to track who came to the job fair and seeing who was hired over the the course of the next six months. So- one of my responsibilities is to do a 30-day check-in with employers say, hey, were you able to hire anybody from that event? Because we want to be able to capture those results. It's part of the story. Because uh, our plan going forward is to continuously host those every single year. Um, but a huge event, people had an opportunity to not only do one-on-one interviews with employers, but share on resumes the on the spot, right? So um, just to kind of, again, thank you again, Earl, because you guys created a room so people can go in, have one-on-one interviews, a room to fill out applications. If there was a need for people to do online applications versus paper ones, we try to check all those boxes, right? Every single box. So, you know, in partnership with Myra, with the city of Bridgeport, with Career Resources, uh, with Department of Labor, with uh, the, the workplace, there were so many organizations involved in the creation, development, invitation of the job fair. I think that's one of the reasons why it turned out so well. It was such a collaborative I effort. I agree. Real quick, because we're running out of time, just to get back sure. to um, staffing, uh, entry point staffing. Um, and, I, and I am trying to toot uh, the city's own horn here, but 
Are you guys in partnership with any other municipalities like you are with the city of Bridgeport? No. No, you guys are the only ones, right? Could you go, could you go into talking about that? Sure. Sure. So, um, so I think the partnership is great, first and foremost. So the process is uh, we partner with the city of Bridgeport to provide um, landscapers throughout the city to clean, uh, revitalize the areas. But one of the most important parts was making sure that the people that start working have the services and supports to be able to maintain employment. So after we do our due diligence to find recruitments, find candidates for them, the first thing we do is send them over to Myra, right? So you guys can make sure that their barriers are addressed, that they got the support they need in order to be long-term successful. And then they go over to public facilities to then meet with someone directly there. They interview them. And then after which we run background checks on folks, drug screening on folks, physicals on folks to make sure they can do it. And then they're able to go out to work. But I think the one of the one of the most important pieces of it is that there's so many checkpoints, right? Mm-hmm. Just to make sure that the people who are going there are long-term successful. Um, and that anything that I may be I may have missed, you will catch, or just the partnership itself allows us to make sure uh, folks are successful going all the way in. And Earl, you you've been pivotal, you know, you know what I'm saying? Myra, the city of Bridgeport have been, I think this is the Third or second third year? year? We're going into third, the third year. year. Yeah. Um, so, I think one of the bigger things too is that, in some cases, depending on how these how these uh, employees work out, we've had some people transition from entry point staff into full time city employees here at the city of Bridgeport. Absolutely, and one of the things that's important for us going forward is we're now co enrolling people who sign up into the American Job Center, right? So they can start the journey of getting their CDL because we want folks to be able to transition. And one of the one of the um, positions that we know are available uh, in terms of permanent employment, long-term employment is a CDL driver, they're in high demand. So if we can collaborate with the American Job Center, uh, make sure folks can get that CDL training, have them work for a bit and then transition over into payroll, City benefits are great, man. Like that's a long-term career for uh, for someone who came home and just thought it was just a job, man. It's right. it's literally a career opportunity. All right, well, Mr. Cherry, the brother, thank you for your time. Appreciate partnering with you. Looking forward Absolutely. to follow up on our you know successful program the other week, so we can see how to do it bigger and better as the future uh, pretends. All right. Okay, I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Earl. Good day, sir. All right. Hello, everyone. Hello, 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 hello. We have today, we are blessed and honored with the presence of Miss Nadine Douglas, MLSW. Did I get that right? Nope, you didn't. Okay. You tried, though. <laughs> Try, Let's enlighten the people with your correct titles and credentials and tell them a little bit about what it is that you do here at the city and how we work together to help folks um, in, in various areas, predicaments. Absolutely. So my name is Nadine Douglas. I am an LMSW here with the city of Bridgeport, um, where I am one third of the social workers that was newly hired for the city starting back in December. 
um, no, not December, not December for me, but September of 2022. Um, and part of our title or our job was to incorporate working with law enforcement, which we do. Um, in addition to that, we've kind of manifested into a little bit of other things, recognizing what the needs are within the city. So that's how we're attached to the Myra program and doing that collaborative work as well for individuals coming back into the city. So part of what we do is assist with rental assistance. Um, which is individuals that are having a difficult time paying their rent. We are a one-time, one-time only um, service, but individuals have to also be able to show that they are working or have some form of income coming in, and um, which trailed into us doing a recent event on June the 1st, which was uh, Life Lessons for Better Living. Um, it was a really, really good event. Um, a lot of providers that was there. We're going to talk about GBAT was present. Um, Myra program also showed up. So we're extremely appreciative of that. CCAR. And then we had a slew of other providers within the community. Housatonic Community College came out. We had Renters Insurance, Allstate come out. All of these things incorporate into what is needed for a home that sometimes we forget or, you know, life happens and we forget about how to manage that money. We all were life impacted by COVID. That's what we call it, life be life. -ing. Life be life and for real. <laughs> <laughs> so we try to manage those things and you know, oh, a bill came up or fire happened. How do we do that? That's where renter's insurance comes in. Many of us don't even think about like needing that, but that's, we don't need medical insurance until we need it, right? Right. We get car insurance and we're paying these premiums but we don't always get to reap the benefits of it until it's actually needed. The same is true for renters insurance. So that's kind of some of the things that we try to bring forward here in the city is that educational awareness um, of what's needed that we forget about or we don't think that we have the finances to connect to it. So we're hoping to do our second symposium in um, the fall, which is going to keep the same title of Life Lessons for Better Living. We're also doing some educational things within the Senior Center um, around our older population and educating them on what mental health looks like, substance abuse, things that we forget about. So if there's anything else that you guys want to see in the city, any questions that you have for me, I'm, I'm great. I probably talked a lot more than I should have in this introduction. No. I apologize. No, no, that's great. So um, I think one of the... This has kind of been a theme going throughout uh, some of the guests that I've had here this morning. We talked about financial stability, the impact okay. of mental health, um, how it impacts the reentry population, but it impacts the general population just as much, um, and which can lead to folks, folks getting put into the pipeline of being incarcerated because they have mental health issues that are not addressed. And so you guys in the Department of Social Services for the uh, city of Bridgeport, you guys see a lot of different things. You want to, and not to get, any personal information, but there's some generalized um, situations that you deal with to help the residents of the city of Bridgeport. So part of what happens is people generally, we see them, our residents for rentals assistance, right? That is the bulk of what we've been seeing. And then in the community, when we're working with the law enforcement, we're seeing the mental health concerns and not wanting to engage. There's still so much stigma surrounding what mental health looks like or who's impacted by it. 
everybody's impacted by some form of mental health. There's a loss of a loved one. How do you cope through that? Knowing what services are available is part of what our job is to seek out what's available in the city, what's still actively going and making those connections. So a person that will come in with saying, identifying is all I need is rental assistance. That's it. I don't need anything else. But there's so much more to that. Like what happened? What losses? You may have lost a loved one. You may have lost a job. Loss of employment is the biggest component for someone that slips into depression, that becomes depressed. The anxiety is like, how am I going to provide when my basic need is being stripped from me because I don't see a way to be able to support that. I don't see a way to maintain my housing. My children may be going somewhere else. So what is rarely available within our community is alcohol. We're going to go to a package store, right? So we're not going to think about the sadness, the that intense sadness, that mental health, the depression that comes along. You're going to medicate that because I just don't want to feel anything. So it's very simple as something as that. Or we're thinking about childhood traumas of what may have impacted of maybe a loss of home, moving home to home. And because now as an adult, I'm not able to sustain my housing. Those triggers have come on. So that's kind of where we start to have those conversations with individuals like, are you connected to a mental health person or someone that you talk to when you trust? It doesn't have to necessarily be a therapist. We would like it to be because we don't want to overwhelm our family members, our friends, and put that extra, um, I don't want to say burden, but they they are meant to hold Right. And so you don't want to shift in and change that relationship. So giving it to someone that can be neutral, that can offer the solutions or help you to derive at your own solutions. So that's how we're helping on this end. Good. So, so point of fact, so a couple of things, you just brought up so many things just now. Um, one is the fact that, you know, in our community, um, we don't look pleasingly on um, folks going to therapy. Right. Um, so that is a barrier in and of itself um, or in our community as well. We may say just, you know, just throw it up in prayer. I'm not against prayer, but prayer with therapy. I think that's a great. It's a great marriage. Ago, that's yeah. like we say coming together. That's a, that's a great thing right there. Prayer and therapy. Right. Yeah. Um, even I myself, um, and I'll share this, I, I'm in therapy. Um, and the first time I started going to therapy, well, first I started with my, my primary care physician. I asked for some recommendations um, mm-hmm. for some psychiatry or psychologists. So this is just right. a lot going on right before the pandemic and after, during, all this stuff, right? And mm-hmm. people losing people. And what I found initially is that the first couple of referrals that he made, they just weren't culturally competent for me. Um, so that was one thing. The second thing is I wasn't really ready for the work that in, is in, oh, in, in therapy. So I ghosted my therapist. Mm-hmm. But then I tell you, stuff got really real and really hectic. And I, I called around and couldn't find anybody. I called my old therapist back. He was like, yeah, come, come on, on in. got you. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, so you got to be one. You got to be ready to put the work in. That's that's Absolutely. that's definitely um, I think also what you mentioned about childhood triggers um, that impact us today in our relationship, especially us culturally. We've gotten, I think, so in the mindset of just surviving mm-hmm. that sometimes when we elevate to different levels, we're still carrying those survival, that survival mentality 
and not evolving into the thriving mentality where we are because we still haven't dealt with that trauma and those triggers. I, I tell you, I'll give you, for instance, I'll share a personal story with me is um, when I finally bought my first home and it was, you know, it's a pretty nice home, very proud of it, right? Right. Like the first six months to 12 months, I was in that house so depressed. Mm-hmm. And it was a simple thing. And I really won't go into what it was, but what I, after talking with my therapist, I realized what triggered it was, again, something you mentioned. The, when I was young and growing up, I moved a lot, just moving. Mm-hmm. And you didn't, you know, as a child, you know, we grew up in, in our community, you, you, you were seen and not heard. You just, That's right. Right. you live in here? Oh, okay. Oh, are we live in here now? Oh, okay. I got to make new friends. And, you just mm-hmm. keep rolling with it. And then in certain situations that build up and you ever, ever address and deal with it, they can impact, you know, your work life, your, your, your married life, your relationships, your friendships, all of that stuff. You, mm-hmm. you don't know how you don't necessarily have the emotional intelligence to deal with it. So I'm glad that we have folks like you and the other three thirds or two. I don't, I'm not great. Two-thirds. with that. Two thirds. Well, I'm one third of, so it's yeah. another two. Yeah. And yeah. I work with all you guys. You guys are all yeah. great. I'm looking forward to doing more programs, but the importance of mental health, um, so is, can be, yeah, it can't be understated, especially in our community, living with um, double consciousness, having to work in different places and put on this mask. It's almost like you two or three different people at times. Absolutely. We wear many hats. And I think one of the, the key things that I always say to people is like, we can't help what we don't know. Right. And there's so much technology out there that allows us, like if something doesn't sit right, like a shoe doesn't fit right, you go and get a different pair, right? The same thing is true with finding a, a therapist, finding someone that not is going to be a yes person, but also says and holds you accountable. And I think so often we lose that accountability and responsibility for improving ourselves. That step that it takes to to connect, it's going to be work. It is work just going to a job and finding it. You're not going to stop searching. So you shouldn't stop searching for yourself, invest in yourself so that you can be the better version of you moving forward so that we don't stay stuck in the the traumatic experiences that we have. They will come up. Yes, it will not feel the same each time. It gets better, but you have to be willing to work through it. We have to be working and willing to work through the financial difficulties that we have. There's a lot that's in this city. We just have to be willing to tap into it. Absolutely. Stopping here first. I totally, I totally agree. So with that being said, I know you said you have some plans for some upcoming programs in the fall. Um, How do our uh, constituents and residents in the city of Bridgeville, how do they reach out to the Department of Social Services? So we have some of the services are available. So we have a direct line. I I knew you were going to ask me that, but I don't have the direct number for us. For us, we do have a social service website. So if it's a referral about anything, you can pretty much type in if you want a connection to housing, if you want connection to mental health provider, primary care, all of those things, you can go on our um, referral based site, social service web. I can't remember what the name is, but I'm sure that Mr. Bloodworth is going to put it in his um, for us and get the contact directly to us. I mean, we're open based. We do do things by appointment because we do like to create order and structure. Um, We know that there's a lot going on and you want immediate contact. We just ask, it's three of us. We're trying to get it done and meet your needs. So help us help you. No, that's that's fantastic. Um, any parting words for the folks 
um, in the city of Bridgeport, just people in general, because this may go, this will go beyond the city of Bridgeport, just the importance of the work that you guys do and um, kind of like, what is it that you're, some end goals that you're looking to get into uh, with this work? End goals for me, for this work, for myself personally or for oh. us in general? Okay, so personally, um, I'm pursuing my LCSW. So I, I have the credit hours for that and I'm, I'm getting ready to do that. And private practice is always a go um, because I believe in the quality of helping individuals be empowered to help themselves. Because when we go away, when the city shut down, when everything shuts down, you're left with you. So how do you help you? You got to generate those tools and learning never stops. So if you don't understand something, ask. If you need, if someone is not sitting right with the right answer for you, ask. No question is a wrong. I remember we grew up in school. No question is the wrong question, right? Right. It's the question you'll get the help. I promise you, ask that. And it's like, we understand when you go through things in your immediate crisis, but also being aware from we're human first. So get that same dignity, that same respect that you want in return. Show it to the workers here. Show it to each other. Outside of the street, you see things. Speak to one another. I, I, I grew up in the South. So. You I couldn't tell at all. You grew up in the South? You, you couldn't. I'm British born. <laughs> grew up in Caribbean. Like, I'm a melting pot of a person. But the, the reality is, is learning to respect one another. That's the biggest key culturally have seen. We forget the basic thing. Good morning and good evening will never kill a soul. Speak to people. You don't know what we're going through or what others are going through. And that one good morning, that one hello, how are you doing, can shift so much in someone's life. So that will be my parting. Speak. Okay. I'm going to share, I'm gonna share too, that I that I utilize with a couple of people. Um, and some people might, some people say these are aggressive, but it's just like you said, there's no dumb, there's no dumb question. There's no wrong question. I say close mouth, don't get fed. That's the right. Thing, most the worst anybody can say is no. And the Absolutely. second thing, if you are not at the table, your ass will be on the menu. Exactly. I mean, you can say it that way, but <laughs> it is definitely very true in that statement. You can't expect people to help you if they don't know what it is. And you have to be your first advocate. Like we're advocates. We're naturally as social workers. That is what our profession is designed to do is to advocate, but it's also to teach those tools. What do you teach your children? What, what was taught to you? Speak up. Use your voice. It is our voices that we can never lose. Use your voice. Right, well, thank you very much. Look forward to continuing working with you to help people provide a sense of self-agency. And I'll see you soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for All having right. me. Absolutely. All right, I have to go. <laughs> bye bye. All right, up next, up next, last but not least, good brother Dye McKnight. Um, I met this gentleman a few years, more than a few years ago. At this point, I saw him. We were in the church, and he was speaking. I thought this brother was so dynamic. His story is so amazing, and uh, he's doing a lot of the same stuff that he was doing when I met him, but he's also doing some new stuff, and I hope to have him speak a little bit about that today. Brother Dae McKnight. Thank you, Brother Earl. Um, I'm, 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 hum I'm humbled by your, by your comments, Brother. I'm just grateful um, to be able to serve uh, humanity and serve our people um, where that's needed. And I just want to open up and say in the name of God, the beneficent, the merciful, 
And I greet you all in the greeting words of peace uh, to a wonderful Friday. Peace be unto you. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, Brother Earl, the only thing I can say is um, we've been in this struggle for a long time. Um, we know uh, the work on a professional perspective and also from a personal perspective um, because I was formerly incarcerated and um, I did serve about um, uh, 17 years and a half, 17 years and six months on a 25-year sentence. Um, and I've been out in the community now, July 5th coming will be 18 years that I've been in the community. And that's, and that's, and that's by the grace of God. And I would only say this, when we've been in the community that long, five, 10, seven, 12 years, it's no longer lived experience, it's lived evidence that whatever these individuals, whatever we are using is working. And I think that's what people are looking for, solutions, life, life solutions, life-changing solutions. And, and by the grace of God, I, I found something that I could implement in my life to help me be the real me and not keep living in that veneer or that mask yeah, that, was about, that wasn't truly me because that, that's what we see when we are running to people in the, the system that are, are justice impacted. A lot of us haven't come into uh, contact and developed a relationship with ourselves. Um, and with our and with our creator, so I'm grateful that 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 I've been able to implement that in my life, and try to be a part of solutions that provide supports to people coming out of prison to help them find their way and navigate through those reentry hurdles. So for a while, I'm, I've been working at Family Reentry for about uh, Family Reentry CRJ. Now we merged with a company out of Boston for about uh, 14 years now. I've been going into prison facilitating reentry and different aspects of it, uh, re-entry, fatherhood re-entry, um, uh, pre-release in the prison, post-release, preparing people, assessing what their needs are with them participating in that treatment plan, and then getting out, trying to help them meet their needs um, to navigate through those re-entry hurdles. And not just, not just navigate through re-entry hurdles, but also develop a plan for success for life. Because it's not just about getting out of prison. Perfect example, right. we had a young man who got out of prison. He was in prison from like 15 to 28 or something like that. And he got out of prison and we helped him with reentry through the Transitions Mentoring Program at Family Reentry. And then, you know, he graduated the program, but we stay in contact with, with, with these brothers and sisters, man. And this brother came back and I said, hey, listen, brother, I said, you know, America is built on home ownership and we need to get a slice of this American pie. I said, um, brother, you need to start thinking about you're doing well, You've, you've, you've navigated through some reentry hurdles. You've been out for three or four years. I said, you need to start thinking about land ownership and home ownership. So we gave him the NACA program information. Yeah. Him and his fiance utilized it. And now that brother owns a two-family home. He's a landlord now, man. So, so, so you know, it, it's not just about, yeah, when we help people with reentry. No, a lot of our people don't have access to information. How do I know? Because I ain't have access to information. Because if I did... My life probably wouldn't have went the course <laughs> that it that it went, even though I had a hard head and I was kind of a self-willed, as they call it, in a nice way. But but still, I was missing access to a lot of information. So this thing carries on beyond reentry. It's about life, because a lot of us never had the things that we should have gotten prior to going to prison. So it really about a second chance. It's about a first opportunity. Here you go. I was just, you beat me to it. 
lot of, you know, we talk about second chance, but many, many of us never have first chance. So, yes, sir. Yes, yeah. sir. And, and, and I say all this with the conviction in my heart of knowing that I owe a debt to my community and to, and to humanity for what I have done. And my way of, of paying down on this debt was with the layaway plan on one good deed at a time. And I probably never pay my debt off before I leave this earth, but God knows my intentions. And that's, and that's, and that's what we do. And that's what this thing is about. Uh, recently, and I know Earl would like me to talk about that. Yes. I started working um, part-time at um, uh, Housatonic uh, Community College, which now it's all consolidated under Connecticut State Community Colleges. And what they offer there, I, I felt like I took a, a glass of fresh water by going there because they have so many wraparound services. Um, and my and my job is basically to get people who are justice impacted and part of the reentry community to um, take advantage of the accredited and the non-credited programming, which could be continuing education or could be part of the academic programming at the community college to get them involved with accredited and non-credited programming and get them involved with a uh, path that would take them to a career and enhance the quality of their life. And once they're enrolled, there's a lot of different wraparound services uh, that come with that, which I can't talk about in detail right now, but if you get involved, let me just tell you this, you will be very, very happy. And I'm a man that's been involved with reentry for 14 years out here. And wow, I, I, I've never seen these kind of wraparound services for basic needs um, to help a student continue to stay enrolled at school. So um, if you're interested, um, you can you can um, reach me at a community community college, a Houstonic Community College. Um, I don't have the number to the office that I've uh, been given over there on me right now, but you can reach me at 203-919-2591. And you're in the Bridgeport area and you want to enroll in Houstonic Community College in those credited and non-accredited programs. I could be reached. My name is Dai Muhammad McKnight. And uh, we can get you involved if you're justice impacted. And if you're somebody from the community looking for a career, listen, they're having a they're having a um a, a summer a business summer boot camp right now, free of charge, six weeks. And if you complete the six weeks, 10 to 2, only on Wednesdays, they give you, I think, a thousand dollars towards your business and show you how to set it up from the EIN all the way to the business plan. I know my time is running, brother. Thank you. Hey, we'll look to get together again, have a longer conversation. Keep up doing the great work, man. I feel blessed to be in your presence and just to know you, man. Have a great day. Likewise, brother. I feel blessed to be in your presence. You brothers have a blessed weekend. All right. This is Harry Drews, and you're listening to WNHHLP. Yeah. As I got another rhyme, another yeah. rhythm for y'all to listen. I'm never quitting on my mission. I'm going to roll with what I'm giving. Got some ambition, this new edition, filling positions. Looking at devoiding myself and feeling what's missing. Better watch the way you're going. Better go in the right direction. In the moment, you're stressing, but you're going to be counting blessings. And I know that for certain. Keep on working. Open curtains. Haters swerving because they ain't ready for your final version. Oh, I'm never going to give up. Give up.